Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about buying property as a first-time home buyer. And last week, we talked about the mistakes you should avoid when buying a property. Today, we're going to talk about the mistakes to avoid when you're getting a mortgage. Josh, as you know, being a mortgage broker, having a lot of conversations out there with first-time home buyers, even buyers that are buying up, there's things that you see over and over again that buyers make or have the tendency to make. And today, we're going to touch on those to help you become the educated home buyer. So Josh, first mistake, or, or is that where you want to start with this in, in talking about mistakes or talking about the pre-approval versus you know, pre-qualification process to start? Let's let's talk about it in in not fully understanding what a pre-approval is and insisting that the lender that you're working with fully pre-approve you. So everyone knows a pre-qualification, you just call up a lender and you talk on the phone for five, 10 minutes. Hey, I make $5,000 a month. My husband makes $6,000 a month. We have $40,000 to work with and we have 700 credit scores. We can certainly run back of the napkin numbers and give you an idea. And I don't think most people then are gonna run out, find a realtor and, and write offers. But when I say a full pre-approval, we wanna make sure that we've looked at um, either one or two years income documentation, depending on the, the type of loan program. Um, and, and part of the reasons for that is homeowners have an idea, home buyers have an idea of how much money they made last year or what their new pay raise is, how much they make. But underwriters calculate income very differently. There can be other interesting things hiding in the deductions on your, your pay stub. Um, any number of things could be things that trip us up. So I know there's a lot of people out there on the loan side that want to get you out shopping for a home as quickly as possible. And they want to say yes, and they don't want to be seen as an impediment to this process. But there's a, a fine line between making it as easy as possible on you, but giving you as rock solid an answer. I know some, some friends of mine, finally, the market is, is settling down a little bit. But when the market was incredibly hot, they were doing TBD approvals, meaning a full income asset credit underwrite on every file so that once the file, the offer is submitted, we can say, this isn't just pre-approved, it is fully credit approved, needing just, you know, a contract, preliminary title report and, uh, and an appraisal. So we don't necessarily feel like we need to go that far because I've done this for 26 years. Lori, my assistant has done this 20 plus years. She has an underwriting background. So with that, we're doing the underwriting on the front end. And if there's anything there that gives us pause, then we are gonna send it in for a, a credit approval ahead of time. So I just can't stress enough how important that is because what it, what it does is it moves the stress of the loan to the early part of the process. And now that's out of the way, we can say, hey, Jeb, you are fully approved, ready to rock, and to give you the three things you wanna know. What's the most I can buy? How much is my monthly payment going to be at that? And how much money do I have to have at closing to make that happen? So if we know we're approved, we know those three items, really the financial money loan stress is out of the way. And I just see too many people um, kind of partially going through that, giving a pay stub and a W-2 and going, hey, I'm pre-approved. Um, well, you want to make sure you've done everything up front. 
Well, you mentioned something earlier that most buyers don't get, you know, have the pre-qualification conversation and then just go find a realtor and start making offers. I, I beg to differ in my experience. I've seen it many times. You know, somebody has that conversation and unfortunately they don't know that they're not fully pre-approved. They think having that conversation with the lender, talking about income, telling them what their credit scores is, is essentially the same thing as you doing an underwriting approval. And it's, it's not because they're dumb or, you know, whatever. It's just, the lack of understanding the process. And when they get those numbers, they say, you know what? Yeah, I talked to a lender. I'm ready to go. They call me. I'm approved for 575, whatever. We go start looking at property and realize, whoa, you haven't even done the the basics. So yeah, pre-qualification versus pre-approval. And we've done an episode where we've really dived into this. So if you want to go back and, and check that out, if you haven't listened to it, we really go deep on that one. But yeah, mistake number one, definitely avoid that because with that comes a lot of heartache, a lot of emotion, and at the end of the day can set you up for you know failure. Absolutely. So number two, this is a, this is a funny one, Jeb. Um, in a perfect world, I want everyone to talk to only one lender and that lender is me. So that's, <laughs> that's not the way it works. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is talking to only one lender. Um, and I can specifically say this often comes to either talking to only their bank or only an online lender. Um, the reason being is neither one of those loan officers is is full-time 100% professional working with realtors um, especially now when we're seeing refinance volume down 70 75% you're seeing all of the major online lenders laying off half of their sales force 65% of their sales force their other shift is to say hey we're going to do purchases now a purchase transaction is massively different than a refinance. Um, a refinance, most everything is known upfront. And in a purchase, you have far more variables, far more loops that have to close, far more parties that have to be involved and on the same page. And most importantly, we have a deadline. We have a set close of escrow date. And if we don't meet that, Lots of people have problems, the seller, the agents, escrow, title. Um, so it, it's, it's a much more complex transaction. There's a reason why when rates are low, refi shops, online lenders want to focus on refis. They're easier, they're faster, they lead to a quicker, more predictable payday. So what I would say, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I was on a call about a month ago and uh, the figures in the low 70% range of people will talk to only one lender. Um, uh -huh. And those that talk to two, it's a, it's 93, 94% will only talk to two. So I also see, you know, the flip side, you know, Jeb, another friend of ours cautions and tells everyone, you want to get at least three quotes. What I would say, what you want to do, if you want to talk to an online lender, if you see the rocket commercials all day, every day, and you're fascinated and you think they're wonderful, by all means, give them a call, get numbers from them but also talk to a local lender, talk to a broker, talk to a mortgage bank. Um, you know, we have friends that work for Finance of America, New American Funding. Right. They're all gonna be slightly different. Um, the most important thing there is that you don't just jump into the first person that you talk to because for the most part, numbers shouldn't vary a ton. Reputable lenders should be in a fairly narrow range. Well, but, but what does vary a ton, and Jeb, you can vouch for this, is the level of knowledge, experience, and service from those different sources of lenders. Yeah, no, I mean, let's, I mean, I think it, it's helpful to back up though and talk about why people 
shop the online lenders? Like why would somebody call that online lender versus maybe the local bank or the local broker to start with? And it's typically because of of rates, right? They they see a billboard, they hear a commercial, uh, they see a commercial, whatever it is, advertising super low rates. And that's intriguing for any buyer out there because typically a lower rate means a lower monthly payment and and what have you. So the the converse, I mean that so that's in their head, right? Is and people want to get a good deal. Nobody wants to get ripped off. So the idea is to always call that. And then if that person, you know, on the phone or whatever essentially quotes a similar rate as to what they're seeing online, the the process stops there. Is that what you're essentially saying, Josh? Yeah. And and that actually, Jeb, is a good transition here into number three, not understanding the loan estimate. Without naming names, right. one of, if not the largest online lenders is one of the greatest, um, we're not going to call them liars, we're going to say misleaders of people out there. We had a situation, and I could name probably five of these. We had a client who kept saying, I need the payment lower than that. I need the payment lower than that. I said, well, it's a VA loan. Other than doing an adjustable rate, there's nothing that's going to lower that payment. You have a home in escrow. We know what the taxes are. You have your insurance quote, and I have an amazing zero point rate for you. Did you want to pay points to buy it lower? No, I don't want to do that. We have that conversation on Friday. On Monday, he comes back in. He says, hey, um, I hate to do this to you. I really enjoyed working with you. You've been honest, but I got a lender um, and they just they got me the, the lower payments to be a couple hundred bucks lower than than what you quoted. That's a four hundred thousand purchase. It's about two, three years ago. That house probably six hundred thousand now. Right. But we go through and go two hundred dollars. We're not talking forty dollars. We're not talking fifty dollars. That's not an eighth of a percent interest. I said, cool. On a VA loan for the other lender to do the loan, we have to release uh, the, the VA case number. I said, I'll release the case number as soon as you send me over their loan estimate. He says, okay, no problem. Um, but yeah, they're saving me a couple hundred bucks a month. Um, and all right, so we look at it and it was a quarter percent higher interest rate. He was paying a point where we, had, we were giving him a thousand or $1,500 lender credit. Um, and yet magically still the payment was $200 lower a month. You look through it, what they were doing is he was buying a flipped property here in California. That means that the, the person bought the home 30 years ago, um, a, a, an intermediate buyer bought it, renovated it, put it back on the market. But the taxes were based off of like a hundred thousand dollar purchase price from back in the eighties. And this lender, they know perfectly well that you cannot use that tax rate. It's going to adjust to uh, be based off of the new purchase price, but they don't care. They just misled him and, and put, put that out there. So when you see stuff like that, when you see a number that seems impossibly better than, than another lenders, it's just not like I, I, I see lenders with egregiously high rates and terms regularly, and we still wouldn't be $200 lower on, on a $400,000 loan. So when we talk about the loan estimate, what are the important things on a purchase that you want to look at? On a purchase transaction, the only thing that I or any other lender control is box A. So you want to look at what is in box A. You have no idea how many times I have someone tell me, yeah, I'm not paying any points. And you look and there's box A. It says 1% loan origination fee. Yeah, that's just the loan origination fee. Say, Listen, they can call it anything they want. <laughs> call anything in box A, whatever you want. Call it rainbows and unicorns fee. Oh, I like that care. one. Any fee in box A is a lender fee. So does it, it really doesn't matter what it's named. They want to call it an underwriting fee, an admin fee, a processing fee, a loan origination fee, uh, a discount point. Anything that you want to look, that's all you need to know. Here's the interest rate. It's you know 5% and I'm paying 
$17,000 for it. Now I look at another lender and it's 5.125 and I'm paying $2,000 for it. Which of those is better? So most people, we talked previously about adjustable rate mortgages, but even to this, to this day, 90% or more of borrowers are getting a fixed rate and they're gonna be looking at the same type of loan. You're not gonna compare an FHA loan from one lender to a conventional loan from another lender, but you wanna look at box A, what's the lender charging me? And then you wanna see what is my interest rate and confirm that it's fixed. The other thing on that loan estimate you wanna look at is make sure whether the rate is locked or not if you are in escrow. Now you said something there, Josh, that I, I like I wanna play devil's advocate a, a bit here. So how is the consumer, the buyer supposed to know that the lender, the, the lender that we were referring to a moment ago or any lender for that matter, isn't quoting the taxes correctly or isn't quoting something correctly so that the numbers appear better than they actually are. The best way we, we go back to not, not only talking to one lender in that instance, he had talked to us. Thankfully, the second lender was the one that was lying to him. We had him bring back the numbers rather than just saying, okay, we give up. Someone beat us by $200. Um, we get the numbers and we look at it and, and we review it, you know, and, and again, I go back that whole only talking to one lender, there, there's carve outs, there's exceptions. If you call me up and you say, hey, I need someone in Nevada. I have two awesome people I can refer you to in Nevada. I don't mean you need to call like two additional people beyond them. It just comes down to how you got to that person and how much you trust them. Um, again, most lenders should be in a fairly narrow range of rates and fees, but the important part is, do they listen to you? Do they hear you? Do they understand you? And are they good at explaining to you what you, you need to know? And do you have that type of rapport where you can look and say, hey, I got this other number. Will you take a look at it and tell me, uh, tell me where it's off? I mean, it does not happen very often, but I have situations where I'll tell a borrower, like, look, I, the, this thing looks legit. I, I can't, I can't right. tell you not to do this. An example, Jeb, it was the client that we cross-qualified for you. They had an amazing number and we went through it and said, hey, no, you're good. You should move ahead with them. And she comes back and says, oh, I actually found a better rate. I'm going with another lender. And that right. was what raised red flags is cool. Who yeah. is this magical other lender? Send me the loan estimate and let me look at that. Because the one that we kind of tapped and said, go with those guys, that's a reputable lender that we know who they are. Well, we don't have a podcast long enough to go over the actual outcome of what happened on that one. It did end up closing for everybody that's interested in this story, but it didn't come without a lot of heartache, them almost losing the property, me having to get involved in areas that I shouldn't have had to get involved in and call people's. I had to reach out to friends that I knew in in the business that knew a manager at this company to be able to put me in, in contact with them. But long story short, it ended up happening, but they almost lost the property because of it. And so you have to understand the risk. Like with a refinance not closing on time, the, 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 the loss is fairly minimal um, unless you absolutely lose your interest rate, it can't be extended or what have you. On a purchase transaction, the loss is a lot more than a rate. I mean, you could lose the property, you could, if your contingencies have been um, released, you could lose deposit. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. So working with a real estate agent on a purchase transaction, I'm sorry, working with a mortgage professional, a professional realtor too, but a mortgage professional on that purchase transaction is is key, is key in many ways so that you don't end up in, in a bad position. So Josh, you know, you know, something else I want to point out is I think a lot of home buyers or, or people get into 
the process with the loan and feel like they're stuck. They feel like they can't back out for whatever reason. You can, you don't have to move forward with any lender. Just understand that. Now, if you decide to change lenders, there could be some, some problems with that, depending on how far you are into the process or, or not for that matter. But just understand you're not solely locked in. Now, if you've paid for an appraisal and you've paid for certain things, that's where there could be some issues. And, and that's how some of these people kind of get you, right? They get you to pay the appraisal up front and then they come out with with different terms later on. And then you could be kind of stuck in this in this predicament, if you will, Josh. Yeah. And here's the thing, Jeb, as you were talking, that made me think we all are generally trusting. And so if someone you ask a question, you want to believe that the answer they're giving you is is accurate. So whenever I talk to someone and they're 10 days away from closing and everything's gone sideways, there's always a version of the story where I asked a question and the answer didn't quite sound right, but we went with it. Five days later, you know, we still weren't there. We asked a question. And the answer was even more off. And then now three weeks into it before they go, I'm going to take action on this because these things are not adding up. Um, your lender should be telling you what to expect in terms of timeline, where are we at, what comes next, and those dots should be connecting. I'm not saying if the underwriting approval comes a day or two late, you should freak out. I'm saying if nothing happens according to the timeline they've laid out for you, if they don't ever seem to give you the, the right answer, they're either intentionally misleading you or they're inexperienced and don't know what they're talking about. Like we, Jeb, you and I go over this and beat this like a dead horse. 80% of the people in my business, 80% of the people in your business don't need to be selling homes or doing loans. They're not good at it. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They don't have the knowledge and experience. Now, fortunately, there's so many mortgage guys and so many realtors that if you get some guys girls, and girls, and girls in the in the top 20 percent you there's there's still a ton of us so from from that perspective we, we already kind of went through what number four here who's picking a lender based off of rate rate is important every lender should have a competitive rate and fee and we do take loans all the time from lenders that have an eighth higher rate and a couple thousand dollars higher in fee but what i would say is if you have an equal feeling between two people and one can save you an eighth in rate or a couple thousand dollar in fees, by all means, save some money. But for the most part, you should be basing your decision off of your feeling of knowledge, expertise, and communication, how well they interact with you in terms of hearing what you're asking, wanting, and needing, and then communicating to you how they're going to deliver it and what comes next. No, I think that's important. I mean, all of all of those things you just said are important. Communication, I think, is is probably the one that stands out the best to me. It's because as a real estate agent, being on the other side of, of purchase transactions, having, you know, oftentimes I, I work with realtors or lenders I've never had conversations with, right? I mean, maybe I spoke to them initially to, to make sure the client was pre-approved, but I've never dealt with them in the actual transaction. And I can't tell you how many times the people don't call back, they don't keep you in the loop, they don't do certain things. And from my perspective, as an agent selling property, I don't want, I don't need to know every step of the transaction, but I like to know what's going on with just some of the basics in the transaction so that I can update my client so that my client, you know, the seller is, is kept abreast of what's going on. And I don't have to constantly say, well, let me get in touch with this lender. Or I've tried to reach out to this lender 10 times and they're not getting back to me. I have no idea what's going on. No one wants to hear that from any side. And so communication, key, interest rate and fees, obviously key, but you know, making the decision of who you feel comfortable with, honestly, is, is it stands right in there as well, Josh. 
Absolutely. You know, the, the next one here on the list, Jeb, is kind of unique to the current market. For the last, we've beat this like a dead horse here. For the last 40 years, we have been in a downtrend in interest rates. So what happens is every three, four, five years, you'll get a trend change, not a long-term trend change, but for six months or 12 months or a year, rates will go up. We last saw this in 2018. Rates went from, you know, high threes, low fours, way up to about 5%. And then we, we now refer to those as the good old days. But um, when, when you see rates move up like that, people come up with these ideas of saying, well, hey, if you just pay two points, we can get you a half percent lower like you would have got six months ago. Um, or, hey, we can do this 2-1 buy down. And, and without going into the boring details, someone always has a, has a strategy to get yesterday's interest rate. Well, to this day, I will still tell you that nothing has changed that long-term outlook for lower rates. Now, that might be two, three, five years from now that we get them, but unless you have to buy your rate down to qualify, meaning your debt to income ratio is too high unless you pay a couple points to get a half percent lower rate, I don't want to see my clients paying points. You know, a year ago when rates were at rock bottom, no one's running in here saying, hey, let me pay a couple points so I can get two and a quarter instead of 2.75. But when rates are at 5% or five and a half, people start going, well, what if I do this? What if I pay it down? The reason for that is it's a sunk cost. Points are a sunk cost. You will never get them back. And you will not likely be in both the home and that loan, meaning you will move or refinance to a lower interest rate well before you recoup the cost of, of those points. So if you're thinking of it and you're working with a lender who can't show you the cost today and the cost over time and carefully explain to you what the break-even point is, um, just be really, really careful uh, when you're thinking of paying points to, to buy yesterday's interest rate when rates have gone up. You know, and I know in this in this uh, episode, we've referenced other episodes that we've done in the past, but we just did a deep dive on paying points when it makes sense to do it, when it doesn't make sense to do it. So go back and check out that episode if, uh, you know, if, if you want to learn more about paying points or what have you. So, Josh, last one is is one that I, I think of often in, in buyers making mistakes and going through the pre-approval process. And that has to do with credit scores. People think that a credit score is, is relatively static and it's kind of, it, it is a true picture and a reflection of who you are. So if you're a 710 credit score person, that's just kind of who you are. Or if you're a 640 credit score person, that's who you are. Now, if you're an 800 credit score person, barring doing something crazy, which you're probably not going to because that's how you got the 800, it really kind of is who you are. But in terms of loans, for government loans, we want to make sure we have a 640 for a VA or an FHA. If we can get to a 680, for the most part, you're going to get the absolute best terms. Um, the 640 isn't required to get an FHA or VA loan, but I mean to get good terms and then 680 for the best terms. Now, conventional we want to be above 680. They'll go all the way down as low as 620, but 680 gets you a decent rate. 700 is better. 720 better still. 740 better yet. So we always want to be maximizing our score. And most people are surprised at how easy it is to manipulate scores. If you have a little bit of cash available, most people that have a score below 740 can manipulate their score upwards anywhere from 20 to 40 points with about two to $5,000. So that doesn't mean that it's an additional cost. It could just be as simple as paying a credit card down and then you're gonna use it more after we close. We can manipulate the scores because it's just a snapshot of that moment in time. If I pull Jeb's credit today, 
and then I pull it next week, it's not going to be the same. They always are varying based off of what is in your, your credit file. So what you should be thinking in terms of is managing that at, at all times to maximize it. And, and that means different things to different people. To a 700 credit score person, maybe they're shooting for an 800. For a 580 credit score person, their big goal is to get it to a 640. But that makes real money differences. I mean, we're, we were looking at a client here earlier today. He's got a 608 credit score. It's fine. We have him approved for an FHA loan. If he got to a 640, we're talking a $7,000 difference for his loan. It's a pretty big difference. So we want to look at that and you want to make sure again that the person that you're working with is able to walk you through what's possible, that they're able to do a what if analysis with your credit. Um, I have a loan right now that we're working on that the guy, the score was like 628. Again, we have the approval, not a problem, but the rates are not the best. Well, we we went through it and the realtor was trying to push him to her lender, even though we'd been working for like seven months. And the other lender never even mentioned that if he paid off three little credit cards that he was going to pay off anyways, because he was selling a house and buying a house, the score was up to like 685 and it made a massive difference wow. in his terms. So you, you just want to make sure, again, knowledge, expertise, experience, wisdom, of being able to look at your entire file and know how to paint your picture as positively as possible to both the underwriter so that they approve the loan and to the secondary markets so that they will give you the best terms for your loan. No, and and one thing you didn't mention there, Josh, what I was initially thinking when we were talking about credit scores is people actually going through the process, getting pre-approved, you know, they're ready to go. They may, maybe they've even made an offer on a property and then going out and running up credit cards, right? Going out and buying the new car or buying furniture for the house that they don't have yet because they're excited about the process, changing their DTI and in some cases changing how much they're qualified for. So a mistake that can happen all the time. Um, I'll let you touch on that. And then even maybe mention the idea of inquiries, right? Not because a lot of people don't want to get what don't excuse me, don't want to get pre-approved with multiple lenders because they're worried about inquiries. They're worried about multiple people running their credit and it essentially coming down. So maybe touch on buying things during the process and, and inquiries to, uh, to, to kind of wrap this up. So new accounts within, um, with, that don't have a history yet. They see the inquiry, they see the account opening are always going to have a negative hit. I refinanced in the fall uh, and it took 15 points off my credit score. Now, 60, 90 days later, it had come back after we made a couple of on-time payments. They go, oh, it's just a refinance. Everything's good. But you want to be aware that buying some furniture, buying a new car, any of those things can impact your score. And even if they don't impact your score, it's going to make the process a little bit more difficult for you because the lender is doing undisclosed debt monitoring all the way through the process. So your best case is you have to write them a letter of explanation. Hey, I went to the Mercedes dealership. I did have them run my credit, but I didn't get a car. Um, your worst case is, oh, I did buy a car. Here's the, the contract that shows my new payment is $987 a month. And they go, oh, cool. You don't qualify any longer. So that's an extreme example, but it happened to my wife uh, two years ago. She had a, a, a borrower that uh, on Christmas, New Year's Eve, the dealer told them this deal goes away tomorrow on New Year's Day. We can't make this. So they bought two cars on New Year's Eve and ended up losing their, their refinance. But they saved money they on the car. car. They saved money on the car. I actually <laughs> bought two of them. So there's that piece. Now, the, the inquiry thing, again, it also relates back here to only talking to one lender and not wanting to get pre-approved. 
for someone with decent credit, a uh, an inquiry is going to have a one to three point impact on your credit score. It's not going to make a big difference. So if you have a really bad score, if you've been working super hard and you've got it to 641, be careful about running any type of inquiry and think about it before you do. But in the bigger picture, the government has decided that for important loans, mortgages, auto loans, student loans, you have a 45 day window and you can pull as many of those inquiries as you want. So I wouldn't push it out to 45 days. I would you know, take three to five days if I wanted to have multiple lenders pull my credit um, and, and make sure you're not doing one of each. You can't apply for a student loan and an auto and a mortgage and have them be treated one inquiry. They right. all have to be within that category. Like if I show you on your credit report, it'll show these inquiries were mortgage inquiries. This is a credit card inquiry. This was an auto loan. So you just want to make sure that you're doing them in a narrow window, all within the same category, and there's not a, a big deal. The benefit that we can gain by having a full and accurate uh, picture of your credit is far offsets and outweighs the one, two, three point hit you may have to your credit score. No, good stuff. So, you know, what I got from that, Josh, is make sure, you know, checking with multiple lenders, not just going with one the one really with the best rate. Um, you can kind of play that one in there as well. Make sure you're getting pre-approved, not just pre-qualified. You know, your understanding box A on on the the actual loan application and or the, the the fee sheet, if you will. And part of that is talking to multiple lenders and being able to compare those, not paying points, trying to chase a rate, and then ultimately managing your credit scores. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. So hopefully anybody out there buying a house can use those to help have a better experience when going through the, you know, the loan process, the pre-approval process, if you will. But if you want to go back and touch on, you know, the episodes that we mentioned earlier about points, pre-approval versus pre-qualification, you can check those out in the earlier episodes. But for now, we appreciate you listening. We will see you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Educated Homebuyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.